Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And how's this for a lineup at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning? Uh, Daryl Jacob, Dan Skeld, Neil Channing back with us as well. You haven't been around for a little while. People I know. Think, where, where is he on his on his it's regular Sunday Sunday morning gig? It's unbelievable. And, and the last couple of times they had me in, they said, "Come to this thing, luck on Sunday." You weren't even here. Didn't even turn up. I thought it was Rishi Persad's show. Well, I'm glad that you've graced us with your presence. Where are you these days? Uh, Brighton. Going to live in Brighton now. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I've been all over the place really in the last year, but Brighton is the next next destination. So it's it's good. I like down by the seaside. Yeah, it's lovely. Excellent. Dan Skelton is back from your, your travels. Hey, to be honest, the yard clearly runs better without you there. No doubt. Um, obviously, <laughs> the system works. Send more. You've been, you've been in Barbados, haven't you? These struggling trainers, uh, they all go to Barbados every year. They all say about how the prize money's down, sports really struggling. They all go to Barbados every year. Well, when I work for Paul Nichols, my dad always says, do what, do what Paul did. So I've just taken it to the limit, haven't I? <laughs> Maybe don't do everything. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we perhaps shouldn't bring that up on, uh, on, on a family show, but... Ah, oh, glad we're off to a good start. <laughs> you're, you're still here and things, still are going, here. things are going extremely well, too. You, I, I, is that fair that you're enjoying yourself more now than you probably have done for ages? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, like you say, I've been very, very lucky with... Um, with Simon and Isaac, the, the, the trust that they put me and the, the loyalty that they show me, but, you know, obviously I'm not getting any younger and, uh, you know, these good days, you know, you, you really have to, to take it in and lap it up and, and, like you say, going over to Ireland has just given me, like, a new lease of life, mm. if you want to say, um, because it's different tracks, different jockeys, different setup, different racing, um, and you've got to really engage in, in, in what they're they're doing and how their races are run and so so it's like a new challenge as well so I kind of feel even though I'm obviously one of the older men in the way I really feel really young at the moment and it's a it's a really exciting time for double green we've got some some beautiful horses across there in Ireland and, and like I say just to, to be part of that journey is just magic. Uh, can we have a look back at Nace Friday week ago and you rode a 16 to 1 shot Willie Mullins fourth string mm. and but they're, the never, they're never forcing what Willie Mullins are they? <laughs> they're not. And this horse has travelled like a really, really good horse, and has come through to to win in incredibly tenacious fashion. Il Atlantique is the horse that's in front at the moment and looked to be travelling pretty strongly. But was it always your intention to slipstream Paul Townend? Um, I sort of had a a few game plans going out there but kind of obviously I was um, a sort of one of the outsiders I didn't feel as if I deserved to be that sort of a price mind because I knew he'd he'd stay um, he was an ex you know he's a point to pointer so I knew he had a bit of stamina but I wanted to get the I had a lovely pitch at the start of the race following Patrick Patrick missed a few I was a bit slow um, like and I, like I said I was on kind of plan Z fairly early doors and I just wanted to get then from there I wanted to get him into a nice rhythm you know, try and get the horse to grow with confidence underneath me. And uh, to be fair to the horse, the talent that the horse is, you know, the whole way through the race. He looks, he looks quite a nice type of horse. I mean, I've never seen him in the flesh, but just looking at the pictures there. Oh, he's a beautiful horse. Um, and he's going to get bigger and stronger, you know, even with a summer's, a summer's grass on him. He's, he's going to be a really, really fine three-mile chaser down along the lines. It's quite interesting. I, I always think when jockeys take a job as a, a retained rider or an agreed rider for a... An, own, an owner or an ownership uh, partnership, you think, well, that'll have a shelf life. It'll work for them for a bit, but it, it's unlikely to really last beyond. You never know how these owners are going to go and whether they're going to be interested. This relationship 
seems to have worked incredibly well. What do you put it down to? It's 10 years this year we've been together. Really? Yeah, 10 years. So it's like you say, it's it's a monumental for any jockey, you know, even trainer, owner, whatever, to have a relationship um, for this long. But, you know, you go back to before I took the job, obviously myself and Paul, we went our separate ways. And it was a phone call from Simon. Obviously, I was injured. I had that fall at Cheltenham when I broke my knee, my leg, my elbow, my shoulder. At Cheltenham, got into a camera. Um, was that one of those injuries where we, we, people thought you were quite badly shaken up at the time, but they didn't quite realise how bad it was because of all the hullabaloo surrounding Cheltenham? I, I don't know if anyone really took stock of just how nasty that was. Yeah, it didn't feel great. No, um, it didn't feel great at the time, I must be honest. But um, they say whether you like it or not, every, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? And maybe, unfortunately, I got injured. You know, it led to this wonderful partnership that we have. Uh, with Simon, Isaac and Anthony and uh, it's like I say one, one door closes another door opened um, I grasped this opportunity I took it both hands and and like you say it's you know probably from from my confidence point of view mm. and like you know I seem to be best when my relationships based around trust loyalty and I think that's when I'm at my so very, very best with confidence. Are, your worries are out the window and you can just kick I on just, and do your just, thing. just concentrating on doing my own thing and, and riding the horses and riding the races that I feel that I can do. And, you know, some of my best relationships have been, obviously, with the late Desi Hughes, you know, the boss, Robert and Sally Allner, you know, wonderful seasons with them. Nick Williams down in, um, Nick and Jane Williams was there for three or four years. And, you know, even though I had the relationship with Paul for four or five years, it never really took off in the manner that we thought we'd do because I was trying to take over from Ruby. Everyone was trying to, Ruby would have done this, Ruby would have done that. And it was just a very, very difficult, it was a transition period. And to be fair, we probably should have just rode the crest of the wave and see how it got on, but it didn't. Paul wanted Sam Twiston to come in, Sam Twiston to come in. Um, and that's where, um, that's where Simon and Isaac came in, and, and like you say, it's from that very, very early doors, Simon and Isaac and Anthony just said to me, he said, you know, we just want you to go out and just be free. Just ride the horses the way you want to ride them. Just be free. Just don't think of anything else. Just be free and ride the horses. And th the point is that there was only one Ruby Walsh. You're talking about a, a rider of a, of a generation of of most people's lifetime. You know, yeah, Dan, Dan was right there in the thick of it all at the time. So you, you're sitting there identifying pretty much with all of what, what Daryl's saying and understanding the, the context. Hugely, hugely. And, and I think the one thing about I can say about Daryl, I've known, I mean, I, I was one of the first up to him when you've crossed the line in the Grand National and I'll never, I'll never forget that day. But um, it was, I think perhaps what Daryl's not mentioning is Daryl's not combative. Daryl's not, he, he doesn't meet people head on. He, 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 he's, he's quite a sort of sedate-minded guy. And I think that served him well, especially with the likes of Simon and Isaac. He, you know, he, he's a thinker and he comes off and he says something about the horses. He wouldn't say anything unnecessarily. Um, and I think when, you, you know, when, when all around you are losing their heads, and I'm not saying that that's what we did at Paul's or whatever, but you know, Daryl did just sort of keep his, you know, keep his own counsel for a, for a little bit. And I think it, the older you get, the more you realise, actually, think now, talk later. Um, and I think that's, that's something that probably serves us all well. But when you're young and you, uh, uh, you, you're I'll, ambitious... I'll make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're young and you're ambitious, you know, <clears throat> you just want to, you know, charge into everything. And, and sometimes the benefit of hindsight, you know, you, you've got to remember that, you, you know, it doesn't always have to be like that. So... Ruby, you know, Ruby had all that at the time. And Ruby had the great, great ability, physically ability, to get on a plane and, and go away from it all as well. Mm. You know, Daryl was in the melting pot at Ditch it every day. Mm. Pressure, pressure, pressure. You know, talking about plans for horses, whereas Ruby would fly in and ride the horses, fly out, you know, perhaps even be too busy to talk to Paul because he's rushing to get a plane. So he would have the benefit to think overnight and talk the next day. And all these little things like, Daryl says sometimes things happen for a reason and, and you don't really notice the intricacies of the situation until you're well past it, look back and go, yeah, that actually helped and that, that helped as well. 2012, Neptune Collage won the Grand National, shortest winning margin in, in history. There is a 
Daryl Jacob in the, the prime of his life. Who's that young fella alongside? Who's on the right there? <laughs> There was, a, there was a shot of me. I look, there I look like I met him. There was a shot of me on this show interviewing Anthony, not, not last week, from the same year. I was, I was a bit crestfallen when I saw that, but now I feel a bit better. <laughs> Donald McCain there as well. That was a magic day, that was. I remember running up to you going, did we win? And you were like, I, no. <laughs> it was tough, mind. I mean, that horse had unbelievable the will to win like like you say and again he was I know he was placed in the gold cup he won grade ones at Leopardstown and stuff like that but you know so many of them horses that I had the privilege and I was very very lucky to ride they were the later stages of their, their career um, like him masterminded and stuff like that you know what a joy I'd say when they were in the pinnacle of their career they must have given their jockeys some feel it was you know, he was, that horse was, I, I, I promise you, that was the first time I'd ever rode him in a race course. And um, he just went around there and I didn't do anything on him. Mm. I literally, he avoided all the carnage that was going around. You know, he, I remember. La last year with the old fences as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, last year with the old fences. And I remember one of the jumps, it was, uh, it was really strange. We were going down and we were in, I didn't see the horses falling on the far side of it. I think it was the beaches. And I didn't see the horses falling at the far side until quite late on. And during mid-air, when he took off, he took off on one lead and mid-air, he actually changed his legs mid-air so he could land and step away from that's the horses on the front. And that's how clever he was. That's extraordinary. Very, very few horses have got that, um, whatever you want to call it, intelligence or whatever, I have no idea, but balance. But he literally changed his legs mid-air to avoid the horses on the floor. He's a bit of a legend. He's still around doing all his bits and pieces. And, and great to see him up in, um, in Liverpool yeah. in all day, um, going and seeing all them wonderful children, families. And like you say, he's just such a kind-natured horse. Isn't he was he? brilliant. Talk about no pressure. That day, um, Pat Hales was like, she was insistent, we can't run this horse in a grand national. He's given us all so much. <laughs> Paul literally said to Darrell, look, do what you want. It's his last run. We're retiring him afterwards. Just trying, you know, just look after him, get him round. And I think you were stone last jump in the first. Literally, yeah. Couldn't go. I yeah. was like, <laughs> took him a while to warm up into it. And even over the first couple of, even the first three or four jumps, he was a little bit like slow, a bit slow. But like we went a good even gallop. And, and I remember it was great for because I went out there to just ride the race. There was no, um, like you say, there was no real pressure on the horse. He was. He was carrying 11 stone six. You know, you're obviously an older horse, and I think the statistics and all that were against him that mm. day. And um, yeah, Paul said to me, "These days, with the, the the way the course, you wouldn't be able to get into the race, would you?" I think you'd probably you'd struggle unless it was the, unless it was obviously a lot softer ground. But mm. I remember, kind of, Paul said to me, "He said, look, if you're in the first nine or ten with a circuit to go, you've got a chance." Yeah. And actually, I think it was ninth, literally with a circuit mm -hmm. to go, and I thought. Well, I'm in the right position anyway, so <laughs> we'll see how we go. And, but he was just he was just a beautiful, beautiful ride around there that day. He really was. Uh, Dan, we were speaking earlier about a, a horse that Daryl mentioned in dispatches, Masterminded. And you said you got to sit on him at Ascot and talking about some of the great horses of the, of the modern era. And his name maybe doesn't come up as often as it, it should do. You rode him quite late in his career. You know, where does he rank amongst the, the horses that you've sat on? Oh, he's right up there. He's right up there. And and like you say, I got to ride him at the the later stages of his of his career, um, and he still felt very very powerful. I don't think of a very very few horses that I've sat on, and I was saying it down there, that can get from A to B so quickly, and that you don't even notice you're leaving the ground. That's how fast he was. He just picked his knees up, didn't he, Dan? And he was down, gone. Good looking, thanks. It's funny actually. Everybody who's ridden him, and I know Ruby had the the real glory days on him, but Tony McCoy won twice on him and says this horse was at, at, in a different league. <laughs> this is the signature performance, Dan, isn't it? Five-year-old winning the champion chase in 2008. Okay. I, I'm not sure I've seen a single better performance at you've the got Festival than this. You've got to remember, Voipoj said is the defending champion. He's got a bunch of grade one winners behind there. You know, He's making Twist Magic look like a handicapper. Um, and this is at five years old. And it, look, what makes a horse great? Longevity, running, you know, at the moment, we're all having this discussion that to be a great horse, you have to run 37 times a year. Um, and you have to run in handicaps and, and wait for age races. You know, there's this big debate at the moment, isn't there, over how good some horses actually are because you don't do what they used to do years ago. But this horse started in a handicap. 
um, in, in, in the autumn. And okay, he didn't quite have the longevity of say a Kodesh star or even the, the sort of like the romantic story of a Denman, you know, coming back from a fibrillating heart and all that type of thing. But in terms of raw ability, look at Ruby's uh, face. Uh, yeah. He can't I believe it. I think that says it all, doesn't it? In terms of raw ability, like it t that horse took an awful lot of matching. I think. He stood. He'd have run right the way through and out, gone round another circuit that day. When they're on, it was amazing. When they're in form, they. A bit like I, I kind of remember watching the Frankel Guineas and thinking, what the hell is going on here? That was the, that was the same. Those are the only two races where I ever just thought halfway, what, what on earth has happened here? It's, uh, I have got as many, um, well, as few, a few good punting stories down the years. You could write them on the back of a postage stamp, and that was about. That, that's one of the only ones <laughs> after Sandown, and it was only the reading of the Nichols' body language and you know creatures of habit and whatnot. And he won a handicap, a fairly ordinary handicap at Sandown. But I'm like, what the hell is this? Interviewed him afterwards. I went. You wouldn't put him in the champion chase, and he's kind of. That's what he's thinking. So I'm like, oh, he's, I don't know, 33 to one on him, whatever he was, and then went to the game spirit and won by miles again. And then it was, and from halfway down the back, you knew that he was, he was home, didn't you? Well, like you say, some quality field there. He absolutely demolished, and uh, like you say, he was a, you know, real superstar, real superstar. Yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary performance, um, Neil. Of, of the horses that, that Daryl's ridden down the years, are there any that, that really strike you as um, personal favourites? Well, I did, I did break, I, I, I bet uh, Neptune Coulomb's in the Grand National, actually. Okay. A, very, a very small You're bet. about the only one, because everyone, yeah, they yeah. said, I, said, I, I cost them money, because everyone was on I didn't have much on it. I think I'd probably bet like four in the race, but I, it definitely, it definitely saved my day. That, uh, <laughs> so I guess saved yeah, Paul Nichols' season. That. We were going for <laughs> the championship <laughs> that year. Also, the, the you remember that? Well, I can't remember what the horse was called. Was it Black something? The one that you, you don't want to think about. Black Appalachian. Black, Black Appalachian. I remember that. I called my missus in from the other room. She doesn't ever watch racing, and I went, "Have a look at this. This is horrible." I don't know why I wanted her to see it. Really, I just I thought, God, he might, you know, he might be in real trouble. It was. It was horrendous. I do remember that quite clearly, thinking, oh, God. Yeah. Was, how long were you out for after that? Uh, like, well, look, well, for Chelsea, oh, I got, they gave me, I think with all the different injuries and all the uh, different uh, operations, that I think they gave me originally, it was going to be sort of a 10 month to, to 11 months, but I managed to get back in mm. five and a half months, I think I got back, just over five and a half months. And you, you did gallop straight into a cameraman, didn't you? Literally, yeah. You, went over uh, the, you landed in the best mate enclosure, didn't you? Yeah, but literally. Straight in the, into a ca the yeah. cameraman on, on the, the on the point of the camera. shoot. Yeah. On the yeah. point yeah. of the shoot. Yeah. Mm. Port Mellon. Yeah, I was Port Mellon. Yeah, just it, a few years earlier, I, I was a bookmaker, pretty much in the spot where you probably landed up. I think in the best yeah. mate enclosure, you'd have been running into my. Oh, trust me, I don't want to be ever land there again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it could have had a very different conclusion, couldn't it? Yeah, it's amazing have. though to go that to work after in the morning and then for something like you know suddenly you're out for ten months. Didn't even happen in a race. It just goes to show the highs and the lows because a half an hour earlier I won a Lac Fontana. Yeah. So one minute I'm celebrating the Cheltenham Festival, when the next minute I'm going to hospital. Yeah. So there was the turning point, and then the then the next turning point. <laughs> exactly. You thought hey, all is well with the world. Nichols and I have got the game <laughs> we're sorted. sorted. We're yeah. sorted. Yeah. But yeah, that was it. Yeah. So that was actually a stable jockey to Paul. That was my. My last ever ride from well, a winner and the, the cameraman. <laughs> um, you've had some some wonderful days, as well, saying in in this role, particularly hopping over to Ireland and getting on some of these Mullins beasts. This El Fabiolo is a, a proper one, isn't he? I absolutely love this horse. Um, I remember two years ago, it was a bit more that first time I ever sat on him, and uh, he literally carted me around the gallop. But he was just big. Big shoulders, big girth, real big imposing horse, and I promise you, he had a stride that covered 10 meters. And um, I could not wait to get into the car and and say to Simon and Isaac, I said, I think I've sat on something special here. Couldn't wait. And um, I, lucky enough, I got to, I kind of made it my business to go over a couple of times after that and just to sit on them, just to see what kind of a, a reality check that I needed. <laughs> and. He just, as even then, he'd only come in like he hadn't been in for, for very long because he obviously had the time out 
and then he went to more and then he had obviously the summer out and then I sat on him and um, I went over and sat on him a few times and he just got better and better and I thought I think this is I think this is the real deal and um, I was so lucky so fortunate I get to, I got to ride him at the Dublin Racing Festival last year won the grade one novice then he came on to to Cheltenham after that didn't he yeah here you are winning the grade one novice and Paul Townend had had opted to ride Appreciate It, and interestingly, Appreciate It runs this afternoon in the horse and jockey at Thurless against Alaho and Envoy and I might give them a, something to think about, but just the way you, you bulldozed your way home this day, I was just so taking. Yeah, and the, and the thing about it is, Nick, he, he, he still done a few things wrong that day, and I think with the more racing he gets, the, the more relaxed um, he's, he's, go, he's going to get. Um, and you could see him after, even after this day. I think he learned an awful lot that day when I rode him at Leopardstown because when he came to Cheltenham, the next outing, he was a lot more relaxed with Paul. He jumped, I thought he jumped really, really well with Paul. Whereas that day, he raced a little bit keenly with me. He sort of held his breath for, for a little bit of time. And then he bulldozed his way through four out, I think it was, when it was all wrong. He still managed to find a leg and he still managed to win. And he's not going to come to, to Cheltenham next weekend for the rescheduled Clarence House chase. What do you think's in the back of Willie's mind there? Do you think he's still got an argument last year in the back of his mind in terms of the timing? Uh, look, at I, I, I don't know the whole ins and outs of it, if I'm being, being totally honest with you. But what I can say is that it worked last year he went to the Dublin Racing Festival. Yeah. It was five and a half, six weeks, and then he came to Cheltenham. And he, I think he'd improved an awful lot from when I rode him to Cheltenham because he was a lot less fresher. He was a lot less keen or exuberant with Paul. And I think potentially, I think it worked last year for him. Mm -hmm. You know, why not? Yeah, obviously with um, Ascot being abandoned, you know, this fits into the mould for the horse actually, and it worked last year. Why change it when you've got two meetings that are so closely together? You're better off staying at home toil because it's worked for him. So that's and the only. And it's a great one, and it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, it's worth. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I know Simon and Isaac. It's not all about the prize money and stuff like that, but it obviously always helps, doesn't it? But I think, I think for the timing wise, I think it's absolutely perfect for the horse. If I'm being honest with you. Um, you had an unexpected party, didn't you, in the in the Clarence House when it was a four runner race? Obviously, was just over nine thousand seven hundred pounds. Fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Do everything like Paul Nichols. Um, are you going to roll the dice again? Have another go. Um, we'll see. Um, I actually spoke to Terry Spraggett yesterday. Um, we're going to enter Nuba Negra because uh, it looks like a dryish type of week. Um, Finally, gets ground. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. And um, we're taking a different route with him this year, running him a bit more, and he seems to be thriving on it really uh, and actually I thought at Kempton last time he ran okay because it looked like he was going to be well beaten and then he looks, started finding a bit it looks like he almost wants two and a half miles now um, at the start of the season I, was, I, I did say to Terry I said you're not going to believe this I said but I think he'll get two and a half in the springtime but um, we'll see all that water's got to go under the bridge but you know, these 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 races that have been rearranged um, they're putting on good prize money for them we you know we've all we've all got a, not necessarily a duty to support them but if you know we all want to try and support them to be honest with you I can see why Al Fabiolo is staying in Ireland though if I was in if I was in those shoes there's no way on earth I'd bring him over if 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 you were in that position for a champion chase because you're coming over you're giving him a hard time the travel and you know you're putting you're putting a potential risk in play that you don't need to so I can 100% see why you wouldn't bring him uh, well I'm sure we'll talk about Constitution Hill a little bit later in the program because that debate has raged on again uh, this week with confirmation that he's he's not going to go to, to trials day and he'll go he'll go straight to Cheltenham. Are you inclined at some point to try and have a crack at the Dublin Racing Festival? I know we've had this conversation before, but do you think any differently about it now to how you did maybe a year or so ago? Not really. Not really. No, it's it's you know racing racing both sides of the Irish Sea is competitive. Okay, the Grade Ones are, are more competitive in Ireland at the moment. We all know that. That goes without saying. Um, but you're getting more and more Irish trainers coming over here, recognising that our prize money at that top level, especially in the handicaps, is superior. Mm. And um, it's, you know, it, when, you, when you're placing horses, you're placing horses for the benefit of them, their owners and their season. And all of a sudden, if you start trying to go the first week of February, which is 
let's say, three, 60% to three quarters of the way through a season, you travel then, they have a hard travel, they have a hard race, um, you can bring an abrupt stop to that horse's season at that point. But is that because the bar is so much higher now there than it was if you'd done the same thing 15 years ago? So if you'd gone, you know, if you look at all those old videos, say of Jadami, for example, going and winning all those, what are now the Irish Gold Cup, what used to be the Irish Hennessy, and, you know, he'd wheel back and win a Gold Cup or second in a Gold Cup or whatever, run really well. Is it because the bar that you're now, now having to reach to win an Irish Gold Cup is that much higher at the corresponding time? And Arguably. And, arguably. Jadam, and Jadami was the best around at the time. You know, you, when, you, when, you've got the, when you've got the comfort of having the best horse, either every, side, either, either side, either side of the, the sea, you are the one to beat. And, and you, can, you can plan your season better than anybody else. Because if you're the one to beat, everyone's keeping an eye on you and saying, well, hang on, is that an option instead of that? So, you know, tactically, you know, a lot of things come into play here. Um, so you're always, you're always thinking. But one thing that is... And, oh, and to, to follow that logic then, because eight times out of ten at those Dublin Racing Festival races, the one to beat is X trained by Willie Mullins, he's holding all the... He holds all, all the... the he, he currently holds all the aces. And the thing... The th Daryl won on the, on the fourth string in a grade one. It's not a fourth string. Imagine having a fourth string like that. Mm. I mean, that's not the real world. And that's what Willie is... That's what Willie is showing us all at the moment. It's incredible. And hats off to him. And I'm sure we'll get on, oh, if, if not today, then we'll all, this, rage, this debate will rage about how many runners people are allowed in races. I quite frankly agree with Ollie Murphy in today's paper. If you've worked hard enough to get the best horses and, and have that number of horses, you should be allowed to run as many as you want. Um, a lot of people will disagree with me. But if you look at the pure mechanics of it and, and, and the, the competitiveness slash anti-competitiveness of these comments, you know, there's, there's a very strong argument one way as well as as well as the other but you know it seems to be sort of like a, a more acceptable sort of like cuddly comment to say oh isn't it nice to give give more people a chance well yes of course it is but at the same time that person who's got all the horses you know it's not necessarily their fault uh, that they've got these horses you know and 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 they need to be run but you know, when you, if you went over to the Dublin Racing Festival, you're guaranteeing your horse has got to travel further than it does in England. You've got to give it two trips on the boat. You've got to run the risk of it not eating up when it gets there. Could get a temperature in travel. Then it's got to have a hard race against really good horses. Okay, for, for good reward and everything else. But then the next thing comes, if you win at the Dublin Racing Festival, the first thing you get asked is, how will you get on at Cheltenham? <laughs> well, hang on. <laughs> I've just come over here and I've just done all this and my horse has had a hard time. It's had a hard travel. It's still yet to travel back to its stables. And you've just made it six to four in a race because it's won here. The pressure then mounts and builds and the, the expectation, this, this yeah. show continues. And you're just like, just this horse needs, we just need to treat this horse a little differently. I mean, if you want to campaign a horse and you don't particularly care to go to Cheltenham, then that could be something a bit different. I remember Warren Greatrex did with the mayor, didn't he? La one there. Did he skip Cheltenham and then go to Aintree? Or? I think he did. Possibly, but going on from that, I think just recently, and it's been quite interesting um, that a few commentators have recently said, uh, you know, we should be supporting these races outside of Cheltenham and it's not all about Cheltenham. The same commentators were very much two years ago, it's all about Cheltenham. And I think there's a shift. There is a bit of a shift nowadays that people are seeing that these Clarence houses, you're looking for this El Fabioli versus John Bond thing. And all of a sudden everyone gets excited about this and goes, this is great, this is great. And then it doesn't happen and everyone feels a bit disappointed that it's not happening. It's not happening for the right reasons, by the way. But it just highlights that there is life outside of those four days. Mm. And a lot of people were saying some time ago, there isn't. Well, it's quite interesting now that those people are a little bit gone back the other way. What maybe. do you think, from a jockey's point of view? Um, I just want to look at it. I love to see the, the best horses taking each other on and at, at the best races. But I, I agree with... I, w I agree with Dan. I mean, I've ridden some brilliant horses down down through the years, and and first thing I've come back and I'd say to Simon and Isaac or Paul, whatever it is, I don't think this horse is a Cheltenham horse this year. A lot of people do get sucked into the whole um, Cheltenham frenzy. Me personally, I don't agree, and I just like to see, as a jockey, I want to see the horses running in the right race that suits them, that I think is mm. the best chance that they can win. And it's not to me. Yes, we all want to be at Cheltenham. We all want to ride Sarah Olympics. We all want to ride winners at Cheltenham and be there. But 
for some horses, it's just not it's just not the right track for them. And oh. Cheltenham is a unique track, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. And it's a you've got to remember, track. there's two tracks. You know, on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, you've got you know, two mile races, short, sharp, and then on the Thursday and the Friday, you've got two mile races with only two two hurdles in the last seven furlongs. They've got to stay a bit. They've got you, to stay it's a bit. totally totally different. But what I don't want anyone to think is, oh, Skelton doesn't want winners at Cheltenham. Of course I do. It, it is the most important place to me. Mm. Of course we it all is, want to be but the with the right horse yeah. Yeah. and under the right circumstances. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard going there with a horse that doesn't have balance, that doesn't have the ability to travel, you know, especially on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, if you don't jump up onto the bridle and go somewhere, you, it, you're, it's over. It's over before you got to the first. I, I was reading a, a, your piece about whether you were going to run Grey Dawning in the Silly Isles Novices Chase or not, a, a grade one race, whatever, and then you might go to Cheltenham. And I'm thinking to myself, is the gap between the satisfaction an owner gets from winning the grade one Silly Isles Novices Chase on a lovely you know, winter's afternoon at Sandown Park, grade one, on telly, whatever, lovely track, wonderful place, is the satisfaction between that and running big at Cheltenham is the gap between those two things. Now, this for an owner, for most owners, compared to where it was once about there. It Do you depends. see what I mean? So, and it's it, who they are. Yeah, I think it, it, it depends, depends on the, the horse. Owners, well, the owners, and the horses. Horse. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I nowadays, like dealing with my group of owners, everybody wants to go to Cheltenham. Everybody. Everybody you wants don't to have go to an Cheltenham. Who goes to you, Dan? You know what? I'm not that bothered. I just want winners. Oh no, no, no. No matter they, what they are. No, they all say that as well. <laughs> but what they want to do is they say we'd love to go to Cheltenham we want to go to Cheltenham with the horses that are appropriate and we want to go there with a chance but it is your job Harry's job the yard's job to make sure that these horses achieve the best they can mm. so you get so much more reality mixed into the into the mix now because there was a point where there was no reality it was like right if they get in the race they've got to run yeah and and, and that was no good for anybody because I can tell you now, you go there with a horse that's you know, 145 rated, you're in a handicap or a graded race, and you're going round, it's the wrong horse for the wrong track and everything else. That horse could be very competitive at Aintree, it could win elsewhere, whatever, and it goes round, it finishes eighth. Now, it might have been almost undefeated that year up to that, so you've had high, 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 go to Cheltenham, get back down there. And you're just like, you know, it's a culture shock. It, it, it's not a pleasant thing to do. So I think, and that's half of the reason that there's less runners in these graded races, I think, is because the reality is getting mixed in a lot more now. Yeah, so people aren't quite so prepared just to be a bit gung-ho and... Every, 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 everyone that comes into being in ownership, I mean, I'm sure Michael has um, said later on, you know, he wants to have, you know, every one of his horses, he wants to have Royal Ascot well, horses. Well, if he can get in here after he's finished signing... Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> look, the, the kids have got me <laughs> onto that one. That was straight whole, away. There's a whole bunch of guys going out Exactly, there. yeah. Make an absolute fortune. Uh, it's all eBay, eBay later on, eBay yeah. Business yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, I'm not sure my kids will allow that, <laughs> I can tell you. But that's the reality. Like, everyone, when you go to buy a horse, you know, whether it's jump or flat, you want to be, you know, that's the dream, isn't it? The dream is to to be at the Olympics, to be there, you know, to have a winner. But sometimes, you know, very, very few people are very, very lucky to get that opportunity, you know. Um, and I think it's all about the dancers. It's placing the horses in the right races to win the right races and whatever it be. Because, like, not every horse is an absolute natural, like, like what we said about um, Neptune Colons, where he could change his legs. Some horses prefer to lead on their near four. Some horses prefer to lead on their off four. They're, it's like a footballer. You know, they're, they're stronger on their left than their right. So, you know, the, these sort of tracks, they don't necessarily suit every horse. And that's what Saint Dan was saying. You, you've got to, and that's part of a jockey and being a horseman and Dan being, finding the right races that these horses can to reach their maximum ability. I mean, just for those of you who've just joined us, Michael Owen will be joining us later in the programme alongside his trainer at Manor House, Hugo Palmer. They'll be along uh, round about, what time do we think Michael and Hugo will be in? The, about 25 past 10. I think we're uh, looking forward to welcoming them. Um, I want to just touch on, uh, when you were talking about running Neptune Collange around the Grand National Course, it struck me, uh, and I wondered, given your nature and given how fond you become of these horses, how you felt cantering down to the start on a horse like Bristol de May. Yeah, he, um, I mean... Hiding to nothing? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, Bristol, are, you, are we talking about when he ran in the Grand National? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it was... I think Bristol would have been very, very effective over them, the old type fences. Um, you know, the, 
you know, the, the old... Oh, where you actually had to get up and over. Where you had to get up and get over on soft, heavy ground. I think he would have just absolutely loved that. That would have been a joy. Um, but the rate of race has evolved and developed with the new style fences and stuff like that. Um, and it sounds silly to say it, but he was he's probably he was too good a jumper for the new style of fences. Whereas, and Dan will tell you as well, you know, the, the new style of fences now, you can be a lot lower, a lot quicker, you can go through where obviously you couldn't have done that in, in the previous years gone down. So he just found that all, everything just happened way, way too quick. And, you know, where usually you see Bristol heavy ground around Haydock, he sort of takes a length and a half, two lengths out of every horse. Well, I was actually losing a couple of lengths on every fence. And there's so many fences going around there. When you're losing two lengths at every fence, it all adds up, really. Was there any element of relief when you were like, right, that's... Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I knew. I, I, I still knew. got a horse here, and yeah, I knew. I knew, and um, my love for horses. The horses are my best friends. Um, I get very emotionally attached to them, um, and I knew very, very early doors it wasn't going to be happening for him. And like you say, I just, you know, he was never, he was never going to get over face because, it, like you said, it's a bit like we go back to mm. Cheltenham. The race just wasn't his race, so you know, therefore it's. You know, is to get him out of there. I can see you getting a bit dewy-eyed when you're talking about this horse and how connected you get to the animals. How can you reconcile that with being a hard competitor at the top level? It must be quite a feat. Yeah, no, it's but again, it's it's. I suppose it goes back to the the, the trust and uh, loyalty that Simon and Isaac have shown me over all the years. You got to remember, like my Zambella score IL. Bristol and May, top notch. Yeah. You know, these horses have literally been with me from the start of my journey with Simon and Isaac. I've ridden them, I ride them out every week. We went to races, you know, and it was like when I used to go out there, yes, it's a very, very competitive sport and I all, we all want to win and, and, and the horses are there to win their races. But then you're going out there, you've got a, a great connection with these horses. I feel like as if I know these horses like the back of my hand yeah. and it's like as if we're going for a day out kind of thing and it's they're just they're brilliant animals aren't they Dan you know they, they you really can't help are. yourself but get attached uh, attached to them you'd be inhuman if you didn't you know but at the end of the day I suppose you know when you go out there as a competitor you're like you're there to do a job yeah. the adrenaline's up it's their job it's your job yeah. you 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 are mates in arms and you've got a job to do and I mean Harry gets very attached to oh hugely yeah. doesn't he? he like you see Harry when he wins on horses and you know even like because it's that family bond isn't it you know it's they're there Harry's in the yard every day of the week he wins on the horses it's a great team achievement you know and he goes out there like you say it's uh, the adrenaline from the horses from the jockeys that's you know that's what we thrive on is that adrenaline you know that will to win that's what we thrive on but then again at the end of the day we still absolutely love these horses, and there's no way would uh, every jockey out there, there's no way would they put horses in unnecessary risks for the sake of it. is going to make every yard of it here and follow up his Sandown win. Fine performance this from Grey Dawning. It's going to be his second victory over fences. The Skelts are going to collect the Hampton once again. They've got a half a long to go. JJ Riley needs the line. Nimian Line is lunging. JJ Riley takes the Coral Anzarotti. Santos Blue under Ben Sutton on the far side. It looks an uncomfortable ride, but it might be a successful one. Santos Blue in front will do enough and win. all sorts of heroics from all sorts of riders and horses, but one man linked them all, and that's the man on my right, Dan Skeld. Six uh, across, the, across the country. Could have been more as well. I wondered what you were thinking in Barbados, and I said to Harry, your brother, I said, I wondered whether you were just thinking, ah, should Gallia de Lito have won the, have won the classic chase? Well, you always hope and, you know, 
hoped that she would and maybe a bit further it helped. But to be fair to the winner, we got to it and couldn't get past it. But six on any day is, is, a, is a wonderful achievement. Have you done that before? I think we had seven once when we were going for that 200 right at the end of the season. But six of that quality, um, definitely not before. Um, four, four different jockeys as well, which was, which was great. You know, young, young riders getting, getting some chances. And um, yeah, the, I actually, I went, I went away earlier in the week and we worked them all on Tuesday. And I said to Harry, I said, I, I think that's the best I've ever seen them all go this year. And we did things slightly differently this year. So, you know, last year we had a phenomenal uh, November and uh, this year we did things slightly different. So it was going to happen at some point. Now, that's not me suggesting that yeah. I knew all six were going to win on a day or something as, as grand as that. But, but you knew what raw material you had. Yeah. And as night follows day, they come good at some point. Yeah. I, I just took the approach right at the, back of the, uh, right at the start of the season there. We were going to go very steady with them through August and September. And I ran a first few in October and I was like, oh, God, this lot are unfit. And then the thing is, you can't catch up. You can't catch up a month in a day. You have to catch up slowly. Now that's not me saying that Protector out went to the Betfair unfit and unprepared. Of course he went there ready because that's his big day. And you know all those horses that had particularly big targets were ready for them, and a few landed. Um, but generally, especially the novices as well, like we were just very cautious with them at the start. Uh, in I was saying the old days, but if you had a very dry. October, November, and the ground is is good, and you're running horses, knowing they're not quite cranked to the maximum. Sometimes, could you get away with it a little more than perhaps you could have done this season? I think you've got a. I think you've got a very valid point. Um, Maybe but it's I, bottomless in yeah, November. But I have to say as well, like holding my hands up, I knew that they were all going to improve to some degree or another, outside the ones that had the big yeah. targets. Um, but I just looked at it slightly different, and I think if you don't try different things you're always going to get the same results and you're always trying to get better and you know there is you know there is trial and improvement but there is also you know trial and error and you learn a lot from errors mm -hmm. uh, more from errors in fact because they they stick in your mind longer than 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 the improvements do sometimes so you know we just tried something a little different and i i my expectation is is that this gives the horses the big chance to finish hard all the way to the end of the season that's what i've been Planning towards. <laughs> so you're not that far behind Paul Nichols in the Trainers' Championship. Obviously, Nicky Henderson, who has the strongest firepower as regards the absolute elite horses, is right on your tail as well. So it could be, it could go any any which way. Is there a bit of you that thinks it's possible this year? Um, it's only possible with um, it's only possible uh, to win that with um, the other two not achieving what they're going to because. If we all equally achieve, um, I might be second or third, mm. because I, I know experience tells me that in terms of what each yard has in terms of ability, uh, horses with ability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But as time goes by, you know, when you know, I don't want to sit here and say, well, we've cemented ourselves in the top three, and right, you know, because you're only as good as your last winner, your last season, whatever. But like, this is where we wanted to be. You know, when we started 11 years ago, we wanted to be in the in the top echelon and try and give it, you know, give it the best every weekend and everything else. And we're, we're doing that. And that's only down to the support of everybody who's made that happen. And I'm eternally grateful for them. But, you know, we did set out with that ambition yeah. to win in. It's a different matter, Nick, because winning it like, you know, it's. I remember when Paul won his first one, he'd been knocking on the door for six, seven, eight years or whatever and just couldn't quite get the better of Martin Pipe. Um, but then all of a sudden it all come together one day and who knows, it might, it might do for us. But I was absolutely transfixed by trying to win a title, you know, two, three, four years ago. And actually, I still want to. You know, it's still my, probably individually, it's my grandest ambition. But you do just actually take a bit of a look and you go, do you know what? That might come one day. Um, keep doing the keep doing the right things on the right days, and 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 you never know what what it might come to. Of course, it it could happen if you won the Grand National. That's the other, that's the Joker in the pack, <laughs> isn't it? As regards, that, yeah. as we always know, with Nephew Collange and Co. with the Trainers Championship, um, Gallia De Lito, You were talking about her, and, and late night pass is a is a fantastic story. I was talking to Gina Andrews on the podcast earlier this week, and I didn't realise quite what a following he had built up amongst that community and how important 
a bold showing for him would be to the grassroots of jumping in this country. Hugely, and he's he, he's a remarkable little horse. Um, for start off, he's little, um, and he's a bit peculiar. Um, in the mornings, he whizzes around his box, ready to go out. And um, whilst he was with us for the for the autumn winter, um, Bridget rode him all the time. Uh, he went back for a little break um, to Ellis's, and you know, he's yeah, he's just he doesn't take a great deal of work. Uh, he's a right little character. He obviously loves jumping. Gina knows him inside out. Um, and it was just great to watch. The, uh, the November race, I knew he'd run well. Uh, hadn't had him that long. Didn't, you know, I joked and I said, yeah, I think he's bay. Um, um, but the December race, I could see that there was a bit of a difference. Um, and uh, I, I had some expectations for December. And I actually said after the November meeting to Tom Ellis, I said, look, don't rule out a Grand National potential here because if he comes back in December and won, he'd, he'd get the mark to get in. Mm. Well, he has now, I think. Yeah, he has. And he was like, oh, yeah, I think the old man would like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go and give it a go. But they, Tom Ellis is my, my best friend. We went to school together. Um, it's actually him going point to point in that sort of got me more into it. I was into racing anyway. Uh, through my dad having horses, but it's actually him. When I started going racing, point to point with him regularly. He had a horse called Penn Hill years ago, um, and then he got a second horse. And then I re we used to go off uh, during lunchtime at school, and I'd ride Penn Hill, and he'd ride the other one, and then it went went from there. And I got my own, and um, yeah, it was. It, it's just been a phenomenal story. I spent more time probably with the Ellises during my during my school days than I did at home. Wow, yeah. I'm just trying to think of. So if you if you won the national with a horse who. Um, was trained by your best mate, you're now training, whose best mate's wife is your sister-in-law, who has ridden the horse as well. I mean, the whole thing goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does, I mean, it's, a, it's a fabulous bred story. By, bred by his parents. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, Pippa, Pippa bred him, and um, it's just, it's great, and it, it's, um, you know, I'm only the caretaker, I'm, I'm only the caretaker trainer, I'm, you know, he, come, he, he came to us, for, we had him for, I think, three weeks, um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 just great to great to ride the journey. It's, yeah. it's something it, when when you when you're in this game as a professional, it's intense. It's like ev everything matters. You know, the T's, the I's. You've got to dot them and cross them. And then all of a sudden, along comes this horse, which is a little bit pressure free, and just enjoy the journey. And it, it, it you know, it's almost it's almost it reinvigorates the fun into it. If you yeah. know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. And and you, Gallia de Litto as well. She'd give you a. Fantastic. I think she's a. I think Charles. she's a real player. She's classy. She stays very well. The jumps are no issue. Touch wood, obviously, but you know she'll jump and she'll stay. And she's quite gritty. You know that 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 race the other day. You know being in in quite a big field and a big race onto the first. If she coped with all that, that's what's going to happen in a Grand National. So, yeah, she ticks a lot of boxes. Um, it's going to be hard because it's a Grand National, but. Nice, nice to have a couple to mm. couple to aim at. So in a sense, even though you had six winners last week, it was the one that was defeated who might yet be the one to give you the most cause to get excited. Potentially. I don't think there's many more exciting horses I've got, though, than Grey Dornan. No. He was very good last week in the Hampton Novice Chase. He won by an absolute mile. Uh, is there any part of you that thinks, well, the race rather fell in his lap, or do you think that's how far superior he is to the horses he was beating? I think there's there's uh, an obvious case to discuss that the race fell in his lap, um, but at the same time, races often fall into horses' laps because the horses that are behind them couldn't cope, you know, in the middle part of the race. He jumps very well. He's got a high cruising speed and he stays mm. very very well. The only the only chink in his armour is when he gets left in front, he goes violently left-handed. He did win at Kempton last and year. And you think that's just an idiosyncrasy? It's not. Yeah, I think anything. when he hits the, I think when he hits the front, he just goes left-handed. Um, he, he won at Kempton last year, right-handed, tight track. Doesn't concern me really. Uh, I, I think Broadway Boy hasn't run his race. I, I think that the, the connections of the second will say that she definitely hasn't either. Um, and I'll, well, I think I'll, they'll be. I think they'll be pleased. I think they're just working towards. Well, you, you'd know better than me on that front. But we did give her eleven pound. Mm. I mean, that's quite grown up. Well, it makes you a proper horse, doesn't it? Yeah. So now, what are you thinking? You were you were toying between the silly aisles and not going to the silly yeah, aisles. Yeah. Well, he's actually. You know, we all talk about these day and age protecting horses and not running them and everything else. We we've, we've ran him plenty. We've got got on and ran him. You know, we. Well, he's he, clearly thriving on yeah, it. Yeah, he loves racing. He he banked he banked the second last at Cheltenham when he 
there was an unlucky unlucky loser in the December meeting. We got him back out there. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot really that says that you couldn't run unless, you know, unless I wasn't sort of really buzzing with him on the day. I'm not going to not run him because um, I'm getting uh, protective of of Cheltenham. You're not getting windy, are you? No, no. I'm not going to not run him because I'm protective of Cheltenham. No. But if I'm not happy with him, I won't run him. Mm -hmm. So you're you happy with him at the moment. Um, yeah, but the, what you've got to remember is, is that. Uh, he will be turning up in these races as long as he's all right. He's not one that I'm going, you're not going to see him now till Cheltenham. And actually, do you know what? I'm not sure about Cheltenham. We'll just go to Aintree. You know, there is there is a school of thought. If your owner's not putting you under pressure, which these ones certainly are not, that says you just go in the Reynolds town and then you go to Aintree. Well, come and on, though. But you've got, a proper, you've got a proper grade one horse on your hands I said here. there is a yeah, school exactly, of thought, yeah. but there's not this school of thought. No, no. <laughs> of course we're going. Just uh, get, but on, get on and run. If you're but, not good enough, you'll soon know. Yeah, well, and, and if, you, and, and, and if um, you know, we're brave with him, you mm. know. Um, I, I loved Elsie's quote last year. We all thought about uh, last week in the paper, we all think about winning, but we're not afraid of losing. And I think it's a great approach to have. And um, it's kind of took me a while to instill that to instill that in my psyche and, and, and the owners as well, that, you know, you get beat, you come back. Um, and, and working for Paul was probably the best example of, of, of getting that into me because he was never afraid of running them, especially those top horses. Mm. You know, Keter Star used to get have unbelievably hard races when he needed to run a bit. You know, he was winning by this much on his seasonal reappearances or in the Aeon and then going on to a Gold Cup. And, you know, they just... They, they, some can take it. On the other hand, some can't. So mm. you, you do have to work with those horses. But, you know, Grey Dawning, he, he'll, he'll be running if he's all right. Well, if Michael Owen showed precision and great clarity of thought during his football career, he then went and got himself into racing and breeding. But not only that, he got really stuck in, and he's still stuck in, at his Manor House stables in Cheshire, where now the man training the horses and holding the license is multiple classic winning trainer Hugo Palmer. Not many people saw it coming when long-standing occupant Tom Dascom left, and indeed they could be conceived of as racing's odd couple, but they're here <laughs> and it seems to be working. Gentlemen, uh, good morning. Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Good morning. Good, morning. good to be here. Um, so how's it going? Great. Life's good. Yeah, we're at the anticipation uh, stage of the year i think uh, all the two-year-olds are, are broken in and, and cantering away so it's all exciting at the moment and you've still got that boyish glint in your eye about a whole load of two-year-olds cantering you've seen this a fair few times before now and you've had a fair few hopes and dreams dashed what keeps your interest in the game well the game in general really i'm you know um i've been involved in it all my life basically i mean people say you know what was the when you finish football and then you convert it into horses, it's mm. like, what do you mean? I mean, I, they went hand in hand right mm. from the start. I made my debut at 17 in the Liverpool team and, and bought my first horse at 18. Bought Manor House Stables, an old Ar arable farm at 23. Uh, and the footballing world had a right go at me saying, I'm taking my eye off, eye off the ball and things like that. But horses and, and uh, myself have, have gone back you know, right through, throughout my life, really. So, um, so the game just, you know, it just excites me, motivates me, gets me out of bed. Um, and since I finished football, it's uh, even more at the forefront of my mind. You don't need puffing up. You've had plenty of that from plenty of people <laughs> over the years. And indeed, you walked into this building at five o'clock this morning, straight off a plane from Hong Kong, and was recognised by absolutely nobody, which must have been, <laughs> which must have been extremely reassuring for you in, in many respects. But at that time, when you're in your early 20s, and the most recognisable person give or take, in the land, you must have had an awful lot of people telling you what not to do. Yeah, probably, and horses was probably the thing that <laughs> yeah. they said don't do. Yeah. Um, hey, and I'm not stupid. I, you know, if, if you were going to have um, a lot of money and invest it into something and make that, you know, your ultimate thing that drives you in life, then, you know, the last thing really I should have done is, is stick it into a, into a horse racing stables. But, as I said to you before, it's what makes me bounce out of bed every morning. Um, you know, the staff, the trainer, the horses, the whole thing, the owners, the facility. When I drive, it takes me half an hour to get to the yard. When I go through the, the, um, the gates, it, it, it sends a shiver down my spine every single time. So what is it about this sport that got you in the first place? In the first place? Yeah, in the very first place. Betting. I love the, the, 
the the betting, the you know the understanding, you know the the, the puzzle that you could solve, uh, the trainers, the jockeys. My dad always used to teach me when I was a kid, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, watching the racing, uh, who the the trainers to follow and things like that. So that's definitely what started out, but then quickly uh, changed. And I'd say that the competition, the understanding, I think, of, of being an athlete myself and, mm -hmm. and listening to vets, listening to trainers, um, why, how, what, how's a horse feel, what's it do, why do you do this before, why do you give two canters, not one, why do you gallop it and not... So the whole, the whole thing used to fascinate, still does. And then you, I have cycles. I mean, at the moment, for the last sort of few years, it's the whole social. Um, my life, really, or my main focus on racing used to be, I've got to get a champion horse. And I still want that. But I want a champion stable. And I don't care who, if it's in my colours or not. Um, all the horses at, at Manor House Stables feel like mine anyway. So um, I just, you know, now it's about the business. Now it's about success. It's about the owners, about meeting new people. Fascinates me. Um, so the whole the whole business really of running a stable is the thing that sort of fascinates me at the moment. And have there been times since you started the the Manor House project where you thought I'm biting off more than I can chew here? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I suppose that there have been. Of course, um, you know, I I you know bought it myself, sold half the business to Andrew Black. Mm. Um, probably I don't know. What are we talking? Fifteen years ago, maybe bought Andrew back out only a, a year or two ago um, and yeah thinking that's got to be a bit of a gulp moment has it, it has even yeah. if you you're well resourced yeah but you know as well as I do I always liken it to a, a football team you know it's all right buying a club but then you've got to pay the wages of the, the, the players then you've got to make transfers i.e. buying the horses and you, you know it, it, it doesn't end so um, so yeah I mean I've literally thrown everything into into a second career now i still work in football of course i do tv work as you say i've just come back from hong kong dusted the boots off for a game or whatever so i still do um a lot of work in in my 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 sport i, I say but um but racing I, i've thrown absolutely everything into it so you've got to find the right staff of course you've got to find the right horses also got to find the right manager Exactly, yeah, and uh, and I'm a big believer in you, you. You put the right people in the right places, you get the best trainer, the best farrier, the best of everything, and uh, and then you can not sit back, but you can relax and, and think, right, well, I've done that. All the, the, the right roles are, are filled, and then, you know, yes, you're, you're there, I'm there every minute I can be. Um, you can guide in certain areas, help in certain areas, but a lot of the time, you rely on their expertise. And people would have laid long odds about a dual classic winning member of the new market training establishment joining Manor House in Cheshire, Hugo. How hard was that process for you to go from something that people would have been very familiar with seeing you in to something completely different? I don't know how hard the process was. It took me quite a long time to make the decision. Mm. Um, I said no to Michael two or three times and then phone enough, Vanessa, my wife and I were... Um, up in Scotland over New Year and we've been away from Newmarket for a week uh, when Michael rang for the final time and we sat there by the fire. And was thought, it quite well, clear it was the final time? Well, I, I mean, I think... If he had said no, there would have been another final time. <laughs> <laughs> the, time that I, the time that, that I accepted and, um, yeah, we, we'd been away from Newmarket for a week and kind of thought, well, you know, let's go and, let's go and see. Mm. Um, and, you know, moving families and house and everything is never particularly easy I mean, they say that the, mo the second most stressful thing in the world after divorce is moving house um, but it was something that we wanted to do and I'm incredibly glad that we have it's so great. what what was appealing about it I think what was appealing about it was the opportunity to sort of partner up with Michael in, in in many ways and to try and create something bigger than than what had created in in Newmarket which mm -hmm very much so far we have. We've got more two-year-olds for this coming season than I've had in, I think, six seasons. Um, we'll have sort of mid-50s number of two-year-olds, which is you know, a really pleasing number and a big step in the right direction. Um, and it just, it seemed like a, like a great opportunity. And I'm, you know, delighted I took it. And you didn't mind kind of ceding a little bit of that 
that autonomy? Because it's a different type of relationship now to, to what you had before. It is a different type of um, relationship, and it's, but it's, you know, you can't be too proud about these things. I, you know, I fully understand that it's Michael's business, but it's a business that I'm hugely involved in and care about enormously. But I, my involvement is, is emotional. I'm not financially involved in the business. I'm not a business partner in it. And, you know... Does that suit you better? Well, the racing world is a, it is a hard, it's, it's a hard taskmaster. It's a hard place to, to, to make money. And um, you need a significant critical mass. And you need a large number of horses. And we have, what have we got, 120 horses for next year, which is more than we need to be making a profit, but not massively more than we need to be making a profit. Um, and that's more horses than I had in, in Newmarket. And um, I relish the new challenge and relish a, a new way of, of thinking of things. You know, I can't remember quite how many horses I had when, when I accepted it, but, you know, I... Not enough, I suppose, is the answer. I think it's just about enough. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting. You know, trainers are made by their horses and their abilities. And, you know, I think we had, I think we had roughly nearly 90 horses in Newmarket, and I think about nearly 70 came with me. Yeah. Of the 20-odd that didn't, there's one that went to James Fanshawe, who's quite a nice stayer. I'm not sure any of the rest of them won a race between them. And it's that sort of thing, God, I, you know, I could have said no to Michael because mm. I want to stay in Newmarket. And, and you know, luckily, the horses that, you know, Dubai with Legend came with us and won a Group 3, and um, a member River didn't want to win another Group 1, but he came and won a listed race. And, Luckily, it seemed that the, the better horses all, all came with me. But um, I think I'm really excited about where we are. I'm really delighted that we have moved forward, that we have got a larger number of two-year-olds for this year. And every trainer will tell you how excited they are at this stage of the year, because you know, everything's lovely. Yeah. All, all your geese are swans. Well, they, we you know, you haven't, you ha they're all unbeaten at this stage. But you know, I really do believe that we can produce every bit as good results, if not better, at Manor House than, than we did in Newmarket. And I asked the question to Michael, and I, I, I've no doubt, because I heard it from enough people, that you had plenty of people telling you what you were doing wrong, moving out of, out of Newmarket. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I spoke to half a dozen people, of, I mean, which, everyone, of which, as you every, well remember, you were one, everyone, to ask, everyone to has ask a advice. View. Everyone has a everyone view. Everyone has a view. And, um, and fine enough, of the half a dozen people that, um, that whose advice I sought, I think five were all go for it. Yeah, I said I told him not to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I said you're absolutely crazy. Um, it does help though if you've got the confidence of having had classic winners under your belt. Um, you had a a pretty solid time of it with Hugo's predecessor Tom Dascom, didn't you, at, at Manor House? Because he was there what? A dozen years? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and was that just one of those things that reached its natural conclusion and you felt as a, as a club owner, if you like, you needed to change management to push to the, another level or do something yeah, different? Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit, little bit more complex than that. There was the, in the background as well, obviously, there was, there was Andrew Black, um, mm -hmm. who was a, you know, a partner in the, in the business. So there was that relationship with himself uh, and, and Tom. So, yeah, I think... You know, I'm quite proud that 21 years, as I say, Manor House, uh, mm. since I bought Manor House, uh, Hugo was only the third trainer. I mean, I would like to think um, I'm a very loyal person that gets on with people. I mean, it's hard to talk about a lot of things when, you know, when, when you're with your partner in crime type of thing, but we get on like a house on fire. And I and I, I would I, encourage I you to be that. as frank as you as you wish to be. <laughs> no, That's absolutely. The, but, yeah. You know, but <clears throat> but I get on with people. I simply I like people. I get on with people, and we had you know a dozen great years. Um, but Manor House, I, I mean, I've got huge ambition and plans and everything else like that. So when you're looking for the next trainer, mm. it has to be somebody that can take you there. That's done it on the biggest stage, and uh, and obviously. Hugo was that person. And not just that, I mean, from a humane point of view as well, it's not like I'd never met Hugo. It's not like it was like, right, let's look at the trainer's table and let's look who's, who's very good and, and give them the call. I mean, I used to stay at Hugo's house, um, you know, for all the sales, for Newmarket racing, different things like that, for three, four years before 
um, before I even was thinking about a new trainer. So we were friendly before that. I knew him, knew his wife, Vanessa, um, his little boy who was very little when, uh, when, um, when I first started staying, and now he's a little bit bigger. But it didn't just happen, you know? It was, uh, it was, it was, it was a relationship that was already there. And, uh, and of course, it was a big change for Hugo. Um, so I had to keep my eyes open and my ears um, open, of course. Um, but even though he said no at the start, I knew it wasn't like a no. <laughs> it was, oh, you know. Anyway, so that's why I kept pursuing it. Okay, we talk about trying to bring owners into the sport. You've been positively evangelical in your own world, trying to get people from, <coughs> from football and business into the sport. How are you doing right now against the backdrop of pretty uncertain times? And it doesn't matter if you've been a premiership footballer and you've got gazillions. You know, there's still better ways of spending it. Well, absolutely. And it's the one thing, I mean, there are issues, of course, in our sport, no question about it, but I'm always of a positive mindset. I look at it from my business's point of view, uh, and I see owners, I've never had demand like it at the moment. We've never had demand like it. We've, we're, we're gonna, you know, as Hugo said, be training over 52-year-olds this year alone. Uh, and, this and, that, and that's spurred by demand. That's not just you guys going out and saying, right, we'll just load this full and then try and sell them all. Well, you've got to do a little bit of that. Mm. You know, I've probably been a little bit ballsier um, than normal, but only on the back of Hugo's results, only in the back of a feel that I get amongst owners and people that I talk to and potential owners. So you go there, yeah, not having orders for 50 horses, but you pretty much know that, do you know what, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of excitement out there. So I can only speak from, from that point of view, and of course racing is... Uh, is struggling in certain areas but at manor house we've got more people wanting to get involved than ever before we'll we'll train more horses uh, this year than than ever before um so it's really positive from my side as i say i've normally sat here thinking still got 10 horses to sell mm. i think i've got three horses at the moment um, so we're way ahead of the curve than we've, we've been before and we'll go to the breeze ups with but a few orders as well Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.